Hear now this reading from Deuteronomy. When you have come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess, and you possess it and settle in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling. You shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. When the priest takes the basket from your hand, sir of the Lord your God, you shall make this response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number, and there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. And the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. God brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with an awe-inspiring display of power and with signs and wonders. The divine brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground that you, O God, have given me. You shall set it down before God and bow down in reverence. And then you, together with the Levites and the aliens who reside among you, shall celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. This is one of our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. Jesus couldn't seem to shake that last drop of water out of his ear. And so he carried with him an echo of the baptismal waters as he followed the Spirit's leading into the wilderness, the baptismal proclamation of beloved reverberating in his soul. That proclamation would be his only sustenance through 40 days of fasting, solitude, and prayer. It is a journey many of us have made and will inevitably make again, one moment basking in the joy and comfort of our baptism, certain of where we belong, confident of our belovedness, only to find ourselves the next moment drawn by some force outside ourselves onto a road that seems to lead straight into the middle of nowhere. Just as our ancestors did, we become wanderers, doubters, wrestlers with our own devils in the desert. For Jesus, temptation takes many forms. First, it looks like the lure of taking a shortcut around suffering. If you are the son of God, the tempter's voice says to a hungry man in the desert, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answers, we don't live by bread alone. Accepting the discomfort that comes with relinquishing his own power, confident that it has something to teach him. In the second attempt, the tempter offers Jesus the glory and authority of high political gains, an even more blatant offer to put his power on display. And again, Jesus refuses. 
The third time, he's offered the chance to cut straight to the heart of the matter, to leap right off the pinnacle of the temple into the invisible arms of God, and there in the sight of all the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes and priests, in the sight of all who ever would doubt him, to show his hand. But once again, the eyes of Christ see straight through the illusion of this kind of gratification. He recognizes this offer as yet another shortcut around the hard work that awaits him on the journey. And so he declines. In the lectionary cycle that guides us through the scriptures in a three-year rotation, we come each year to this story, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, here on the first Sunday of Lent. Year after year, this is where our journey with Jesus toward the cross begins. We know that this story holds power to shape us because our lives are made up of one journey after another, one temptation after another, one wilderness experience after another. So year after year, we tell the story of Jesus in the wilderness. And if you're like me, it affects you differently each time you encounter it. Think for a minute about what life was like just a year ago. I'd imagine some things have changed. Stories have a way of granting us perspective when we encounter them in this rhythmic way. The truth that shines through them is channeled through the prism of our experience. The light comes through differently with each turn. There's something about the ritual itself of choosing to remember this story that grounds us. It gives us a touch point, a way to remember who we have been so that we can keep sight of who we are becoming. A wandering Aramean was my ancestor, the ancient liturgy went. I imagine the story of the wandering Aramean fulfilled much the same function for the early Israelites. After wandering themselves for more than a generation, finally they found themselves in the land of the promise. They were grounded in a particular place where they could put down roots and start using the word home. And that was an entirely new way of being for this community. And so Moses gave them a story a ritual to repeat over and over, to never lose sight of who they were, of where they came from, of where they were going. My ancestor was a wandering Aramean. This was how they were to begin each year when they brought the first fruits of their harvest to the altar. Of course, the story goes on to include how that wandering Aramean, referring to Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, went down to Egypt and lived there with his immigrant family, how they began to be oppressed when the Egyptians became afraid of how their numbers were growing, how they cried out to God and God heard and answered in a mighty way and brought them to the land they now could call their own, the land that had produced the crops that they now offered in part back to God. My father was a wandering Aramean. 
That word father or ancestor was interchangeable because as deeply ingrained as this story was in the fiber of their being, they might as well have been just one generation removed. Telling the stories of our parents and grandparents helps us to understand the stories we are now living, whether they bear any immediate resemblance to our own or not. My ancestor was a wandering Aramean. It strikes me that wandering is the adjective chosen to describe Jacob. Translators have debated about the meaning of this phrase. The word itself can mean wandering, or it can mean ready to die. In either case, it seems appropriate that this text from Deuteronomy was chosen in our lectionary cycle to rest up against the story of Jesus wandering in the wilderness. That it was placed here on the first Sunday of Lent when we watch as Jesus turns his face toward Jerusalem, ready for the death that awaits him. Anyone who goes into the desert with their eyes open must be at some level ready to encounter a death of some kind. While I was in seminary, I became acquainted with a wonderful children's Sunday school curriculum called Godly Play. It's a Montessori-based program, which means it's not your typical children's Sunday school room. The class is full of low shelves stocked with trays, and on each tray rest the pieces, usually nice handcrafted wooden pieces, that are needed to tell the Bible story for each session. It also means that the atmosphere itself is very different. So the first time Zach and I ever encountered a class using this curriculum was the Sunday before Zach began at our previous church as their youth minister. The children's minister at the time thought he should get a sense of how their kids were being raised so he'd know what he had to work with when they got to the youth group. So with the children's approval, we attended the class together. And when we reached the door, rather than just going in, we waited in line as each child was greeted individually, asked to remove their shoes, and reminded that they were entering a holy space where people encountered God. This meant that in the godly playroom, children and adults would walk slowly, would talk <coughs> quietly, and would not interrupt because as they were reminded each week, someone in the room might be talking with God. I'm aware that this sounds crazy, but it worked. <laughs> that was the quietest children's Sunday school class I have ever been a part of. And all of it created this atmosphere for the telling of the day's story that was just captivating. I ended up getting hooked, and I taught in that class for years. So on that first day that we attended, after we're greeted at the door, we took off our shoes, we joined the children in the circle on the floor, we waited as the storyteller for the day went and retrieved a beautiful, large wooden box on wheels and rolled it to the center of the circle. It was about four inches thick. To the uninformed eye, it might have looked like a fancy sandbox. But in the godly play classroom, this was a piece of the desert. In a room full of silent children with their eyes locked on her, the storyteller began her tale by waving her hands around in the sand. The desert is a dangerous place, she began. 
There is no food or water there. People can die in the desert. When the wind blows, and here she whipped up the sand, creating sand dunes and then immediately erasing them from existence, the shape of the desert changes. You can lose your way. The sun is scorching hot during the day, and at night it is so, so cold. The desert is a dangerous place. People do not go there unless they have to. It's intense, right? The kids ate it up. And I learned, after I became a regular teacher in that class, this was not a one-time monologue. These same words are spoken every time, like a mantra, when the Bible story for the day takes place in the desert or in the wilderness, as so many of the stories of God's people do. You might be surprised how often it's the case. Abram and Sarah set out from their ancestral home with no idea where the journey would lead. Jacob traveled across the wilderness and back in his lifetime and spent some time along the way wrestling with his future and his past. Moses spent time in the wilderness both before and after leading the people through the Red Sea into freedom. The kingdoms of Israel and Judah were marched through the desert on their way into exile. Many of the prophets encountered God and spoke to, the, spoke to that experience from their position in the wilderness on the margins of civilization. So when we recognize that Jesus has been led by the Spirit into the wilderness, we can be sure that that location is not coincidental. Likewise, when the Israelites take part in the ritual offering of the first fruits of their harvest and begin the story with a reference to their ancestors as wanderers, we can be sure that there is a meaning beyond the purely geographical. Wandering in the wilderness is a part of our story. It's a part of our story we would often rather deny or gloss over, because wandering implies a lack of control that many of us are not comfortable accepting. Sometimes our time in the wilderness is an experience we have chosen. In other cases, the wilderness is thrust upon us. But as the people of God learned in each of those desert stories, God is with us, even when we have gone off the edge of the map. As a community of faith, as the people of God, it is essential that we remember these stories. It is essential that we claim wandering as a part of our DNA, because our lens on the past will affect the way we engage with the present. But even when we've accepted that our wilderness experiences are a part of life, even a good and valuable part of life, doesn't mean that we can bear them on our own. This is why it's so important, not just that we remember, but that we remember together that we are a wandering people. We gather to remember the story of our wandering forebears together because we can't survive the desert on our own. We need one another to hold the faith for us when our own faith is too weak to stand. Sometimes we wander as a community. With any institution, this is inevitable. 
this community of Northminster set out on a journey 30 years ago, not knowing where the path would lead, not knowing what came next, not even sure you wanted to be another church. But you were holding one another and remembering the things that were important to you, the stories that had shaped you. And those stories were the stories of church, of a people who would bear one another up as you walked this road together. There is a hymn that has become my guiding image for the role of the church. And I would have had us sing it this morning, but I requested it for the installation service this afternoon. So I won't make you sing it twice in one day. I did get to hear the choir practicing it already today. I do want to give you the lyrics because they speak so simply and clearly of what I believe to be the central truth of our spiritual journey, wandering and winding as it may be, and of our journeying in community. It's called the Servant Song, and it goes like this. We are travelers on a journey, fellow pilgrims on the road. We are here to help each other walk the mile and bear the load. I will hold the Christ light for you in the nighttime of your fear. I will hold my hand out to you. Speak the peace you long to hear. Sister, let me be your servant. Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant too. Brother, let me be your servant. Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant too. I will weep when you are weeping. When you laugh, I'll laugh with you. I will share your joy and sorrow as we see this journey through. When we sing to God in heaven, we will find such harmony, born of all we've known together, of Christ's love and agony. So Northminster, here we are again. On the road toward Jerusalem, again. Here we are once more on this 40-day journey toward the cross, where each day is darker than the last. There are no surprises here. We know that this is a road that leads to Good Friday, when the light is extinguished, when it seems that the light has gone out of everything. As we journey on this road, in our remembering of our shared ancestry of wandering, often wayward souls, may we bear the Christ light for one another, illuminating the path for one another, one step at a time. I hope that you will let me be your servant. Let me be as Christ to you. And I pray that I may have the grace to let you be my servant too. Amen.